And welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter, and today we'll be covering how Cameron has flip-flopped on the abortion issue as far as exemptions go. Uh, priorly, during the primary, he said he only believes in exemptions in case uh, of the life of the mother, and now he's saying he would add on exemptions for abortion, uh, abortion exemptions for rape and incest. So we'll go over why that shows just everything that's wrong with our current crop of politicians. Ever since an extremist social group uh, desecrated a 110-year-old church at Pine Mountain, the far left has been on a crusade in the court of public opinion to try to win you over to their side. And in the argument over whom has say over what happens on Pine Mountain, they've decided to pull out the trump card that the land actually originally belongs to the Native Americans, so all you Christians should just shut up about your church. We'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. But first, make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. As always, if you are listening to this in uh, the video format on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, you can always catch it on any single major podcasting platform. Just simply search Andrew Cooperwriter and you should be able to find me. And for those of you listening on a podcasting platform, such as Spotify, Apple, iHeart, Pandora, Amazon, um, you know, list goes on and on there. Uh, feel free to leave a five-star review if you like the show. And of course, if you don't like the show, well, uh, nobody needs to know what your opinion is anyway. So just go ahead and keep that to yourself. But without further ado, let's dig into it. So it's another day, which means we have another politician flip-flopping positions because of what they think they need to be saying or doing in order to win. Democrats do it. Republicans do it. They all do it. But why? Well, frankly, most politicians will have sold their souls and their convictions out long, long ago. I mean, here's the problem. It literally costs millions to run big elections. It just does because voters are too busy. They're too distracted or just really don't care enough as a whole to actually research whom is on the ballot and then dig deep enough into them to figure out what they actually stand for and are all about. I mean, I do this show five days a week and I show prep for each episode and sometimes it takes me hours and hours and hours. And even I can't dig through the history of every single politician running on the ballot. So if you want people to vote for you, well, you've got to let them know who you are. You've got to get them to turn out and vote for you. And in order to do that, you have to send mail, run TV ads, run radio ads, send text messages, you knock on doors. There's, there's many different ways you have to do it to make sure you've reached every single person you can in order to ask them for your vote. On top of that, if you're running against an opponent who's also doing that, you need to also do all that same exact stuff again, but instead this time you need to be making sure you're spreading the quote-unquote truth or why somebody shouldn't vote for them as well. Now, I know people get squeamish about uh, uh, negative campaign advertising or whatever, but just get over it. I mean, honestly, just get over it. Okay. I, nobody who's going to tell you the bad things about a politician, especially a Democrat politician, but who's going to tell you the bad things about a politician. You think the politician is going to come out and tell you all the bad things about themselves. No, of course not. And you, a voter, and most voters aren't going to go out there. They're not going to research a candidate in the first place. They're not going to go out there and they're not going to go looking for the downsides or the negatives about a candidate at all. So you know what? Just get over it. 
politicians need to run negative ads. So that way you can actually be informed about who you're voting for on the other side, because you need to know what's going on with them. Nobody else is going to tell you and you're, you are most likely not going to do enough research, research or dig deep enough to discover who it is. And frankly, when I hear people talk about, I don't like negative campaigning, let's just be talking about themselves and why you should vote for them. I think those people are kind of naive. Um, and I think they're kind of silly uh, because quite honestly, you know, they don't know anything negative about any of the candidates out there. They don't know why they shouldn't vote for somebody. I mean, literally politicians and, and campaigns are ran this way. They're crafted. They spend millions upon millions of dollars sometimes to craft these messaging. You think they're going to be honest with you about themselves and tell you every single bad thing about them? Of course not. They're going to put whatever dressing on whatever thing they need to. So obviously negative campaigning has to exist to have an informed voting base or else you'd never know anything bad about any politician to begin with. But anyways, putting that to the side. Sorry, that was a soapbox moment. It just annoys me when I hear people begrudge the negative campaign ads and campaigns. And it's like, well, how else are you going to find out bad things about politicians? I mean, wouldn't you hate to vote for somebody to find out that they were actually uh, a pedophile or they were actually they said they were, I don't know, for spending less money, but then they've constantly voted for spending more money. And you, of course, didn't go back and do your research to find that out because who would? Nobody would, right? Let's be honest here. And so because of that, now this person gets elected running on a fiscal conservative platform that has never been fiscally conservative in their life. But because, well, we don't want to run any negative attack ads, we end up with these situations. So anyways, I'm just soapboxing for a moment. We'll put that to the side. So... My point is, though, is that all these politicians have sold themselves out long ago. They have to. And the reason why is because, or most politicians have, is because, you know, any any politician, any office you want to run for above pretty much state house rep, you need to spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in order to win. That means you either are independently wealthy or you are getting donations. You're getting donated uh, to by individuals and they're not just giving out the kindness of their hearts. I mean, uh, political donations are not tax deductible, right? They're giving this to politicians because it's an investment. They want to pay off for their investment. They want you to behave and act in a way they want you to. And so most of the time when you find a politician who is actually competitive at a high level like governor, and they themselves are not independently wealthy, well, they probably have sold themselves out. That's Democrat, Republican. It doesn't matter. That's probably what's happened because who else would give them millions of dollars? The average citizens just don't donate enough money, generally speaking, uh, in small dollar donations from those who just, uh, uh, for altruistic reasons, care uh, to make a difference. It just doesn't. And that's a shame. I wish more regular voters donated so that way we'd have more politicians that aren't rich that do serve the will of the people, but instead we have either a bunch of politicians who've sold their souls or rich politicians who at least maybe aren't being controlled by donors. And when they say or do something, you know, it's how they actually perhaps feel unless of course they're just trying to win elections. So my point is that politicians flip-flop because most have never felt strongly on anything to begin with. It's always been a fake. It's always been based upon polling. It's always been based upon what they think they need to message on. What is almost more interesting to me, too, is, is how politicians end up being a Democrat or a Republican. I mean, at some point, they put an R or D next to their name by choice, and I always have 
kind of wondered why some of them have. Um, I mean, most of these politicians are are only still in that party. They only are R's or they're only D's um, because, well, what are they going to do? You can't turn your back now. You're too far down that road. I mean, take somebody like AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I mean, if she just woke up one day and was like, you know, what? I really don't like communism. Communism is bad. Could she come out and say it? Could she do it? Well, no, of course not, because she's so far down that road. So she 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 literally physically can't wake up one day thinking that uh, something that she's been stumping for all this time, like, you know, for example, communism is bad because she's so far down that hole. She's so far gone. And so many conservatives like uh, people like Cameron, um, not necessarily saying Cameron, I can't look into his soul, but many conservatives and Democrats will say and do things that they know the Democrat base or Republican base care about. But if it becomes too inconvenient, they'll discard it right away because they've always just been faking it anyways. So this is what brings us around to Cameron's flip-flops on abortions. That is no matter how you dress it up, it is a flip-flop. Don't hate me for calling it what it is. Let me give you some evidence. So here is some audio from Cameron when he was asked during a, a debate about his views on abortion. Uh, let's take a listen here. Would you support any exceptions to Kentucky's current abortion law? And if so, what exceptions are they? You've got 60 seconds. Well, I support the current law. And of course, Mario, you know that I've been defending the Human Life Protection Act. And I'm proud that since August of last year, the abortion facilities have been closed in Kentucky. And there have been very few abortions. Look, Mackenzie and I uh, have a 14-month-old at home, uh, Theodore. And this is a real issue to us. This is important that we look out for the most vulnerable in our population those that are in the womb. And so I will continue to support the Human Life Protection Act and the, the exception that exists therein. Uh, but again, I understand the delicacy of this issue. Uh, but I want to make sure that I'm a governor that reflects the values of the men, women, and children of our 120 counties and firmly believe uh, that we've got to look out for those that are most vulnerable in our population, those that are in the womb. So I'll continue to support the Human Life Protection Act. Our office will continue to defend that law. Obviously, I'm honored to be endorsed by uh, Kentucky Right to Life as well, but I've also been endorsed by Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America because they understand and recognize that I will do whatever it takes to Thank defend Thank you very much, war. Candidate Cameron. Uh, so there you have it. That's Cameron during a debate. Um, he's saying there that he is going to support the human life protection act that he is, was fighting for in his office at the time and the exemption therein and the exemption in the human life protection act was simply an exemption in case of the life of the mother. That was the only exemption being offered. So what he was saying there was I am only supporting exemptions in case of the life of the mother. Well, Oh, yesterday or so or day before, Cameron was asked about abortion again on a radio show, and this is what he had to say. This. If someone rapes a child, we are going to go after them with the full force of the law, and that, that should never happen. And if our legislature was to bring legislation before me that provided exceptions for rape and incest, I would sign that legislation. There's there's no question about that. No question about it, he says. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, there's been a few moments, um, mainly I can think of two up till now that I could point at 
as a reason why Cameron, if he loses, well, this will be the reasons why. First, I uh, was his hiring of people like Terry Carmack and other McConnell tied staffers um, because this drove away a good chunk of his base, not obviously a majority, but a little chunk of his base. And what that means is they're not going to, I mean, they're not going to probably vote for Bashir, right? But it means, well, maybe they don't volunteer and they would have, or if they do volunteer, they don't hit as many doors uh, as they were would have for a candidate that they're more excited about. Or maybe they just don't show up to vote at all, if especially if it's raining or it's a little too difficult because, well, they just don't feel that motivated because they're like, look, I don't want to just elect another McConnellite stooge. The other point is waiting to like a month or so out. This is so, so that was one reason why um, I could point out to say lose. Here's a second reason why is, and that is because he's engaging this age old tactic of um, not putting out your campaign signs into like a month or so out. Um, and, and that is a common tactic we see in campaigns, but in these larger campaigns, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So if you haven't seen any Cameron signs and you're like, why am I not seeing any Cameron signs? That is why he is waiting till a month out, which, like I said, I think is dumb and high profile races. I did a kind of like a one month out. I think I did like a month and a half out or something like that for my Senate race. Uh, I thought it was a good move, um, because when these low profile races like state Senate, uh, the majority of people don't know who anybody is. And then suddenly you have hundreds of signs up and people notice and wonder who that is, what race are they running for, so on and so forth. But high profile races where everybody knows your name already, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It just makes it seem like going into this last month that Bashir has more momentum, which isn't great when you're down financially. If you know you have significantly more money than the other person, uh, which is something that we've seen uh you know, Cameron or McConnell, because a lot of the people running Cameron's campaign are former McConnell staffers and McConnell campaigners. Um, so, you know, in the last month, they have a lot of money. Uh, they have more momentum. They're they're not up against, uh, they're not, they're an incumbent, right? Um, so if you're in that situation, you're looking good in the last month, it's not a big deal. But when you're up against somebody who is the incumbent, who looks like they have the momentum, who has seemingly significantly more money like Bashir does than letting them have the appearance of all that momentum going into that final month just isn't a, a good choice in my humble opinion, especially as we have mail-in balloting and early voting that goes on almost a week earlier on the early voting. So up till now, that was mainly just the two things I could quickly point out to say, well, this is a problem and this, this could be one of the mistakes you've made when it comes to winning this election. But now here comes a third major point I can easily point to. And because, well, let's first look at the, just how illogical having this position. Let's say this is his real position. I believe in exemptions. Well, this is incredibly illogical. I know on the emotional standpoint, allowing exemptions for rape and incest is a knee jerk. Yes. For most, most people immediately are like, well, yeah, of course that sounds awful. I don't want them to have to carry the baby. I get it. Those crimes are absolutely horrific. They're traumatic. This is a awful thing to have happen. However, when, when you put aside your emotions for a second, you just think logically about what's going on here. Allowing abortion for this reason means you don't really have a good reason to not allow abortion for literally everything else. If a baby is not a baby because of how it was conceived, 
well, then that baby really isn't a baby. I mean, follow me here. Okay. Set aside your emotions. Okay. So you got people like me who are pro-life and we're pro-life because we believe that a baby in the womb is a human life. We think murder is wrong and we believe life begins at conception. To me, where else does life start? I mean, I've heard arguments about it, right? From pro-abortion people. They'll say, um, you know, this is where it starts. This is where it starts. Because the argument is really about where do rights kick in? When does something have a right to not be murdered? Or by ending its existence, you're murdering it. When does that start? Basically, when does that thing in the stomach become a human? And if you have another point, where you think life starts other than conception like I do, you're going to have to logically explain it to me. I've heard people say things like, well, it can ex- life starts when the baby can exist outside the womb uh, instead of in- only inside the mother. Well, that exact date and time is determined by a number of factors, some of which is genetic, some of which is technology. And you can't craft a law where the difference between murdering somebody and a medical procedure is simply based upon technological advancements and genetics. I've heard people say birth. It starts at birth, which makes no sense because that would mean a baby one second from being born is not a human being that can be aborted. And they claim it's because, well, uh, this child cannot exist without its mother. It's like a parasite, so the mother can choose to cut it off. Well, children for quite some time after birth have no ability to provide for themselves either. I mean, they can't even give it to the cupboard to uh, get food down, let alone hunt, gather, and cook it. Are we saying that parents can kill off their born children uh, simply because they're too reliant on them so they now have the choice because otherwise they're simply a parasite? You see, life starting at conception is the only position that makes logical sense. Saying that a baby unborn is, uh, is a baby but and is a human life while it's unborn at conception and it should be protected, that is logical. And so if you agree with that, so if you're saying that an unborn baby is still a human and you're saying it is equal to a a child in the womb is equal to a born baby, well, then it should be protected. And you cannot logically think that if that baby was formed because of rape or incest is okay, now it's okay to kill it. You just can't. I mean, okay, let me ask you, would you kill a one-year-old baby, a one-month-old baby? a one minute old baby, if you found out that it was conceived through rape or incest, the answer is almost every human being I'd hope would say, no, we wouldn't. So if you're saying you wouldn't do that, but you would murder an unborn baby that was conceived that way, well, then you're saying an unborn baby isn't equal to a baby that's one minute old, which is exactly what we're arguing when you're pro-life. We're saying it is the same. And the minute you give up a little ground to say it's not the same, the minute you say, well, if it was conceived this way and it's still in the womb, it can be killed. But if it's outside the womb and it's been conceived this way, it can't. You are conceding that that child in the womb is somehow less than in value a born child. And now we're just negotiating over how low that value is. We're not negotiating over whether or not abortion's right or wrong. We're just negotiating over how valuable that life in the womb is because it's not equal now to a born child. That is what you're saying. 
And really, that's why this argument is a red herring for the left. That's why abortion advocates latch, latch on to this rape and incest to excuse abortions because the minute, I mean, less than 1.1% of all abortions happen because of rape or incest. And they latch on to that because it's an emotional appeal. But the minute you say yes, they can now logically get you to reason that any abortion you should be okay with because it's an emotional issue for you now and purely not about what's right and wrong and you can be moved. And that I think is why this move is so bad. It's going to depress your base on top of it being wrong. I think he's dead wrong. And what he's saying is, is that an unborn baby is worth less than a born baby. That is what he is saying. Period. And now this depresses your base. I mean, you're, you're, you're a month and a half out. What is he month ish? and a half out. I mean, what Cameron is talking about is saying he would roll back pro-life stances. He would set pro-life Kentucky. We would be less pro-life than we are now under Cameron because he would be adding exemptions. So it depresses the base. It's the wrong way and an important issue. So why did Cameron do it? Let me tell you about a conversation I recently had with a super establishment moderate Republican who, um, you know, they just kind of look at politics as team red shirt versus team blue shirt. It doesn't really matter what anyone stands for as long as they have ours next to their name. I'm going to tell you about what we talked about right after this short break. So why did Cameron do it? Right? Why did he flip flop here? As I said, I said, I'd tell you why after this break that this last break here. So, you know, so I was talking to this guy, a super establishment, moderate Republican um, person. And this isn't a random guy either. This is a political player. Uh, he's behind the scenes a lot in DC and Frankfurt. He does a lot of work for Republicans up there. This isn't just some guy off the street. Okay. And we were chit chatting at a event and I said, I pointed out how McConnell and the Safer Communities Act depressed the vote and was backpedaling uh, Second Amendment rights. So for those of you unaware, the Safer Communities Act allowed red flag laws and other things, and it really set back our Second Amendment rights here uh, in the nation, and it was the biggest piece of gun control legislation passed in quite some time. And I point that out to this guy that I'm talking to, saying, hey, this isn't good, right? Um, and what he said to defend McConnell, okay, what he said was he said, well, we needed to do it because we were losing suburban women. We're losing in suburban women. And so the thought was, is if we do this, we can then attract in suburban women. Well, first off, one, how'd that work out for you? You certainly killed that red wave. You're trying to attract in suburban women with the Safer Communities Act to gain gown, ground for Republicans. And it's like, why? I mean, did, did you did you grab control of the Senate there, champs? Did you get control of that Senate, McConnell, like you thought you would? Of course not. Because it'll never be enough for Democrats. They'll still attack you on it. So instead of protecting your viewpoint, as you should be, you're acquiescing to theirs. You're giving them crown. You're giving them credence. When they say you're too extreme on guns and your response is to pass gun control legislation, you're acquiescing to their point. You're saying that they are right. 
and you're giving them permission to keep using it as an issue to win on. You don't see Democrats giving up on their viewpoints. They may change terminology. They may use different tactics and a messaging route, but they don't just abandon it. Green New Deal, they change the name, they pass it in chunks. Critical race theory, they change it to DEI. They kind of bundle that in there, get people on board with the new thing, defund the police. When that started pulling bad for them, what'd they do? Did they stop their actions around defunding the police? Of course not. They just changed the name, changed their messaging tactic. So instead of passing a gun law because you just had to bring in them suburban women that you were supposedly going to bring in with the Safer Communities Act, which is just funny to me because you act like these people pay attention in the first place. They're paying attention to what the TV newsman tells them. They're paying attention to what the attack ads tell them. They're not paying attention to the up and down vote in the Senate in the first place. But anyways, so instead of passing gun laws, you should be cutting ads and talking points about how guns have helped in places where police never could have gotten in time, helped women defend themselves, such as break-ins and assaults, attempted rapes, things where have women tell their stories about someone who's breaking into my house and I called 911 and I let them know I had a gun and I shot at them maybe and they left and they ran away. The police didn't show up for five minutes later. I'm so thankful I had my gun or else they could have broke in and something awful could have happened to me because they knew I was there and they were coming in anyways. Cut an ad like that. Let suburban women know gun rights are there for you too to protect yourself if you need to win them over. But instead, what do you do? You acquiesce. And more importantly than that, when it comes to acquiescing, and this goes into the abortion point too, what is it that you stand for? If your point of grabbing power is just to become Democrat light, if you're saying, well, I think this is a losing point for Republicans, so we just need to change on it. Well, what do you even stand for then? What is the difference? Take away abortion, take away gun rights, take away those two things. Because that's what Cameron's doing. That's what McConnell's doing. That's what, and keep in mind, Cameron's campaign's being run by McConnell people. That's what they're doing in this. They're taking staunchly pro-life stances and they're taking staunchly pro-Second Amendment stances off the table. What is the difference between a Republican now and a moderate Democrat? Not much. How's that going to inspire anybody to turn out and vote? You're never going to convince people to vote for you. They have a D next to their name. Like, it's not going to happen if you're a Republican. It's just not going to happen. You need to turn out your Republicans. You need to turn out your moderates. And you need to convince independents. And you do it by not by being a, 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 a mamby-pamby, spineless worm. You do it by inspiring the masses and people with strong talking points. I mean, the last major election, Republicans won was Donald Trump in 2016, like at the national level, right? And, you know, because the midterms went bad, then presidential election, up for debate there on who won or lost that. But anyways, and then, of course, the midterms after that. But in 2016, Trump beat all odds and he won. Why? Was he moderate? 
Did Trump strike you as a moderate person who's being treated moderately in the news? No, he inspired people to show up and vote that never shown up and voted before. That's how you win. You don't need to argue with the Democrats over. Look, in the in the governor's race, there's already the perceived moderate lane, perceived moderate lane, not saying he is moderate, is being taken up by Bashir. There's no space for you there. And the farther you move over left to try to get in space where you're not going to be, you're leaving off base and you're leaving off voters over here. In case you can't tell, I am highly, highly disappointed in Cameron and the Cameron campaign. Highly disappointed. It's an obvious flip-flop. And what you have said is, is I'm taking the vote advantage. I'm taking advantage of this pro-life vote and pro-life causes because I believe they're going to vote for me no matter what. I believe they're going to do, they're going to work for me no matter what. They're going to do everything no matter what. And I tell you what, Cameron, you better hope there's not a rain that day. You better hope that the weather ain't a little bit inclement. You better hope that these people's voting locations are not moved to a new location where they don't know where to go. You better hope that's the case. Because I tell you this much, if you're a staunchly conservative pro-life Republican and you're turning up to vote, in order to vote for a person who just completely flip-flopped on abortion. And you're like, well, at least I guess he isn't Bashir. Well, I guess that's it. But, oh, geez, look at that. It's raining out. I, I guess I'll wait for the rain to end. Then you never turn out to vote. I mean, that that is, that's what he's facing here. So why do this? And what should you do? I mean, obviously, you should be taking an offensive approach. He should start attacking Democrats and Bashir for wanting abortion until birth. He should start cutting ads, challenging people on where they would draw the line. I mean, literally cut an ad where you're saying, where would you draw the line? Moment before birth? Would you kill a one-month-old, one-year-old, one-month-old, one-minute-old baby if it was conceived because of a rape or incest? Why is this life any different? Show some ultrasounds. Why is this life worth less than this life? Challenge people and hit back. Instead, you fold like a cheap piece of paper. Extremely disappointed. It makes you wonder, why are you even running? What's it, why does it even matter? I mean, if everything you say, we have no idea if you mean it or not now, because that's the other problem. It's not just folding on an important issue like abortion, but it literally becomes a question. We have seen you, any Republican at all that slightly pays attention, your base has seen you flip-flop on an issue. You change from where you were here to where you are here because you think that's what you need to do in order to win election. What else are you claiming that you will stand on that if you're shown the right poll, shown the right information, the news media runs enough ads about it, if there's an attack ad cut about it, you will flip-flop on what else is it? Are you going to flip-flop on transgender issues? Are you going to flip-flop on saying, well, you know, maybe 16-year-olds can get their breasts cut off and, and chop off their genitalia? Is that, is that what you're going to flip-flop on next? 
for all of you sitting there saying, oh, no, he would never do that. What proof do you have now? He's already shown he's willing to flip-flop. And he has no track record. And that's the other thing. On abortion, you'd never think he'd flip-flop on it. He has a track record of protecting laws that say only exemptions in case of life of a mother. His office argued in court against rape and incest exemptions about how that law was okay, even though it didn't have exemptions for rape and incest. They argued in court about that. So you can't even look at actions now as a precursor to what he believes in or is going to do. It's extremely depressing. It's depressing to the vote. It makes a lot of people question their support. This is a bad, bad move. And you can be mad at me for saying it, and I know, I know. People get upset at me because I point out things like this. But at the end of the day, what do you expect? Somebody's got to say it. Apparently, he's not listening to anybody that's actually conservative. Anybody with any kind of principles. Because even if, even if the poll numbers and everything else look long, just simply saying, I can't change my viewpoint on that. I've already publicly said this is what I'm for. And I am for it. I can't change my viewpoint on it. I mean, that, that alone shows principles, and now it shows a lack of them. Disappointing stuff. Disappointing stuff. I mean, what's the use of grabbing onto power if you're not going to do anything with it? I mean, if you give up everything you stand for in the, in the quest for it, what's the use of it? Anyways, coming up after this, we will see lefties uh, pulling out the old this land belongs to the Indians trump card uh, on an argument regarding Pine Mountain after this short break. All right, so this Pine Mountain incident, I've done uh, a few episodes where I've talked about it. I've covered this. Uh, we've talked about it here in the past, but just really quick summary. Um, 110 years ago, a church and settlement school was built on Pine Mountain in eastern Kentucky. Um, that property was then entrusted uh, to uh, the the public there. They turned it over um, after it was built to uh, the public to take care of and to offer the church up to uh, the schools there as a part of the public schools system there. Um, and then it has since been kind of ran by like a nonprofit that I was entrusted to uh, kind of take care of the facility. And what happened was is the, the nonprofit that was taking care of the facility rented it out to a uh, lefty group that believes in, uh, you know, basically cultural engineering when it comes to, uh, you know, pushing forward art projects and other things that push forward a certain viewpoint. And so they believed in doing that. And so they rented the space out to them. And that lefty group went into the church and put up a bunch of paganistic, uh, and Hindu religious symbols to create a meditation, whatever. They hung them above the cross. They did all these things, and they posted pictures of it on Facebook of where they had desecrated this church. And then a bunch of local people came up and said, look, you, you need to get out of this church. You're desecrating it. You need to remove your, your BS, your paganism, your, your Hinduism. You know, This is a Christian church. This is a sacred Christian church. It's 110 years old. Um, you know, according to the evidence I've seen, it was a still active church as well. And, you know, you need to, to leave and get out. Um, so frankly, 
the left here, because of what I just went over, this church, it's old. It's been there 110 years. It's pseudo public. Um, in that sense, it was gifted to the public by the original owners, right? Uh, and the government had hold of it. Um, and so, you know, this, this, the public opinion on this issue in Eastern Kentucky, the left has been losing on it, and they can feel it there. And they're losing on it um, because, you know, it's, it's frankly, you desecrated a church and this, this is very historic place. And the far left is trying to get, so, so this all deals with kind of the far left is trying to get the Appalachians to come back on board to be a part of the Democrat base like they used to be. And they don't realize that Appalachian Democrats didn't leave the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party left them because of the same crazy viewpoints that these people are pushing. And now, no matter how much you may try to force them into the new Democratic Party, they want nothing to do with it because it's why they left. I mean, why would you? After all, these leftist activists bring crazy people that are absolutely are there to make fun of your community uh, into it. I mean, you know, take people like this. This is um, a performer Pikeville Pride is bringing in. Uh, the name of this person is Victor diamond victor diamond okay this is a drag king so i'm assuming here this is a girl that is kind of sort of dressed up as a guy but not really um as you can see here and and you have somebody who i'm assuming is a woman um it seems like she wants to go by they pronouns but that's stupid so i'm not going to do that um so you got a girl dressed up like an effeminate guy um you know, for those of you who can see what, what, what they're looking at to try to describe it here, you've got a clearly drawn on facial hair, like a I think like three musketeers ish style facial hair, um, you know, drawn on pencil beards and and just just super drawn on their stuff. Um, a, a jawline that's they've attempted to do some makeup, it appears to kind of square it up make it look more manly, but clearly that is a female jawline that I'm seeing there, which makes me say this is a woman. Um, I'm assuming it's a woman. Um, and so you got a girl dressed up like a feminine uh, guy, and uh, she's got her hair spiked, green tips, a green like blousey thing, and then she's wearing fishnets with then some sort of gender symbol on her crotch. Um you know, I was going to try to figure out what that gender symbol on, on her crotch means. Um, but then I decided I really don't care, or give a crap. So I didn't put the effort into Googling it. Um, so you're bringing perverts like this into Pikeville, into their community, into their public spaces and exposing them to children. And then you're shocked that you're not being welcomed with open arms. So in order to try to make up some ground here, the liberals have been trying to win in the court of public opinion because you can see they're trying to win. See, see, the left can win on a message of, I just want to be left alone. But you, they can't win on what their message really is, which is we want everything from you. We want you to sacrifice your values, your religion, your decency, your dollars. We want everything. We even want you to sacrifice your children at the altar of our gender theory-based religion. That's what they want. They claim to want to be left alone, but then this is what they really want. And people are discovering that in this Pine Mountain incident, and they're losing because it's exposing what their true goal is. It shows that they don't want to be just left alone. It showed that they had no issue destroying what you value, a 110-year-old church, and desecrating it. So, 
We have another opinion piece. By my count, I think this is the fifth or sixth opinion piece the Herald Leader has wrote about uh, the Pine Mountain incident. And this incident occurred uh, almost a month ago, almost uh, almost a month, a month or so ago, um, which is a lifetime ago when it comes to news cycles. But this article by Linda Blackford was just published full four days ago, four days ago. It's called A Sacred Space, Who Really Owns Pine Mountain and Who Belongs There? Because you see, the argument has been that this place belongs to the community for the last 110 years. And since the original owner entrusted the church and the school to the community in order to evangelize and help the community's children, bring them into the Christian faith and help the community's children. So a leftist group that believes in chopping the genitalia off minors comes in, puts up their pagan, their Hindu religious symbols inside this 100-year-old Christian church in order to create a meditation area and was being disrespectful to the heritage of, heritage of the area. That's the claim by the people. And that argument resonates. And it shows the entire problem with the woke cause. The cause that calls for tolerance and celebration of only their viewpoints and lifestyles while destroying that of everyone else's. Unable to handle that argument that clearly points out their hypocrisy, Linda here says, well, you know what? You don't own Pine Mountain. The Indians do. Which, you know, before we go into the article, is stupid on its face. Because before the Indians, it was probably the Neanderthals, whatever they're called, who were taken over by Homo sapiens. So, you know, aren't they the original real people that it should belong to? Anyways, so here's from the article about the Indians. There's a petition to get rid of a school's interim director set up by Tate Napier, the leader of the local group and descendant of William Creech, who in 1913 gifted the land on Pine Mountain to form the settlement school. There's even a mention of buying back the land once owned by the Creeches or somehow dissolving the nonprofit that controls the property. For me, one of the most fascinating aspects of the whole episode has been discussion of who owns Pine Mountain Settlement School or who belongs there through family heritage or religion or the right kind of politics. The fact is, of course, there were many people who were there before the Creeches, bands of Cherokees or Shawnees or other tribes who for hundreds of years had not owned the land but had hunted, grown crops, grown crops and lived there. Their artifacts still sit on the shelves at the school, but they, the first inhabitants, have been conveniently forgotten. Pine Mountain was the ancestral home of Native Americans for hundreds, perhaps thousands of years, and the irony is that the Native Americans who inhabited it believed that the earth was here for everyone, said Landra Lewis, an activist of Cherokee and Sac descent who grew up near Pine Mountain. To have people now decide that they have some kind of ownership on it and certain people should not be allowed to be there is so wrong and so contrary to indigenous philosophy. Is it though? Is it? I mean, in this own quote, okay. I'm not in this realm of people that romanticize Native Americans, right? And what I mean by that is, is that for all time, humans have been conquering each other, attacking each other, you know, fighting over territory. I'm not going to pretend like the Indians were some sort of amazing one with nature group. Yeah, they were nomadic. Maybe they don't comprehend the idea of how one person can own a chunk of property, but they certainly believed in tribes and territories. In fact, in their own quote, they talked about how the Shawnees and the Cherokees have had some place in this land for the last hundred years. To quote again from the article, there and the fact is, of course, there have been many people there before Creeches, bands of Cherokees or Shawnees or other tribes. We're going to pause there. 
Because the Cherokee and Shawnee, why were there bands of tribes there? Well, could it be perhaps that the Cherokee pushed back the Shawnee? In fact, the Cherokee were known to be at war for the Shawnee for quite some time. They pushed the Shawnee all the way back across the Ohio River out of the southern area of, of the United States, out of Kentucky. This was something that happened without European pushing. This was something that happened uh, around the 1700s or so, and it really didn't involve Europeans at all. It was just simply a war between two tribes. This isn't, the, the, the indigenous philosophy here isn't, it doesn't matter, anybody's allowed anywhere. Let's all free-flowing and one and blah, 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 blah. We all come together. I mean, when we look at the Cherokee indigenous philosophy, Cherokee Indians, the way it was set up, they had a white chief and a red chief. The white chief was the peace chief and the red chief was the military chief. Generally speaking, a tribe that's all about peace and oneness wouldn't have an actual military with ranks, but that's what they had. So they're sitting here pretending like Indians themselves didn't fight over this and try to fight over who was allowed to be somewhere or not be somewhere. In fact, when we talk about warring tribes, when the British arrived, they allied with the Cherokee because the French allied with the Iroquois. The reason they allied that way is because the Cherokee and Iroquois <coughs> were already traditional enemies who fought with each other over territory. So I'm not going to sit here and go through this all, but you get the point. I'm not going to sit here and say Indians were savages or historically much more awful than other humans either. It was just, this is the way humans have always kind of behaved, fighting over territory. I'm just pointing out that fact. Because this, this claim, this point of making, well, the land doesn't even belong to the creatures. It belongs to India. Well, who, who did it belong for before that? And who did it belong for before that? And who did it belong for before that? What you see is there's been wars fought over or time and battles and arguments over whose land all land is when we go far enough back in history. And it's a stupid argument. And they're just clearly, clearly trying to obfuscate the point. Because what we're talking about is a modern culture time. A time where we decided we no longer are going, we're going to try the best we can to no longer just murder one another over who has land, but instead we're going to have something like land ownership that is enforced by a government. And this, of course, isn't the only example of leftists taking what is traditional tribal traditions and trying to co-opt them for their viewpoints either. You know, we could go into how the LGBTQ mob has taken over Indian culture and tried to somehow claim that Indians were super, super woke, but, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. The point is, is that these gender activists came into a community, desecrated a church, and are now really confused why everyone is so mad at them. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. I thank you all so, so much for joining me. See you back here tomorrow at 1 o'clock, hopefully. Have a great rest of your day.